Hello, this is Lydia, Maddie, and Alan. Welcome back to Out of Mammoth. Hi, this is Mike Bowman. Uh, back by, I don't think, popular demand, but we are back. Um, it's been almost a year. Uh, today's topic is Watergate. Some people believe it's the scandal that started all scandals. I don't know if that holds up under scrutiny. I mean, Adam and Eve, I mean, that's a scandal. Caesar was murdered. Uh, there's been other scandals, but everything that ends in gate starts with Watergate. Early 1970s, Nixon, who wasn't a crook, uh, gets taken down by Watergate. Uh, I'm going to give you a version of the story. You can go and look at the, the research. you got Google at your fingertips, and I'm sure I'll have a mistake or two, but it's a fascinating story. It sounds really boring, uh, and when you read about it, it really is. But when you dig down deep, there's some fascinating characters. So Nixon's uh, elected in 1968, replaces Lyndon Johnson as president of the United States, and he's rolling as Nixon rolls, and he decides to run for re-election in 72, and he doesn't really want an even playing field. Uh, he wants to ruin every Democratic candidate's reputation run them through the ground, and basically stand alone and get reelected. So he has a plan. I'm going to back up. 1969, we've been involved in Vietnam for five solid years since Lyndon Johnson orchestrated the beginning of the war with the Gulf of Tonkin incident. We've actually been involved since 1954 when the French bailed out and offered this prize to us, and we accepted with open arms after they got shellacked in a battle called either Din Bin Phu or Bin Din Phu. I never can remember, but it's one of those Fu's. And France is out and the United States is now involved in what will become known as the Vietnam conflict. In 1969, there's a guy that works at the Pentagon named Daniel Ellsberg, and he has access to Nixon's White House. I don't remember exactly how. And this guy, stumbles across something that will go down in history known as the Pentagon Papers. And what he discovers is the United States has basically no goal in fighting this war in Vietnam, except to keep a running total of how many people we killed. That's, that's not a really admirable military goal. Uh, it goes all the way back to 1954. It overlaps from Eisenhower to JFK to Lyndon Johnson to Nixon, and it's going to end up with Ford and Carter being involved in this bad boy. Um, Daniel Ellsberg leaks this information to, I believe, the New York Times. It may have been the Washington Post, and it starts making headlines. And Nixon is really upset that inside information is making it into the news media. So he wants to figure out who's leaking the information. So he puts together a group of people to find and fix the leak. They become known as the plumbers. Then when he decides to run for re-election in 1972, he has a group of people helping him get re-elected like every candidate. And it's called the Committee to Re-elect the President. And it ends up getting a really neat uh, acronym or nickname, I don't know if acronym is the right word, uh, we'll have to ask another teacher, but it ends up going down in history as creep. So you have creep and the plumbers and eventually a character known as deep throat. Um, and then there's leaks. So there's a lot of crazy little tidbits along the way. Nixon gets a group of people that will start doing nefarious acts 
to bring up dirt on candidates, ruin reputations. He's got actually a list of people called his enemies list that he's trying to ruin their reputation purposely. This includes, I believe, actors, actresses, writers, um, politicians. And he Nixon calls all these acts dirty tricks. So tricky Dick Nixon with the plumber's creep, deep throat, and leaks are now going to unleash their barrage of dirty tricks. Hello, we're back. So Nixon sets in motion what he calls dirty tricks. The evidence supports the idea. Nixon did not know that the break-in of the Watergate building was going to actually happen. What got him into rough waters is the next morning he orchestrates the cover-up, which is just a little illegal. So what happens is the Watergate building, it's in D.C., uh, I believe it's like four different separate buildings. They're like 10, 12, 15 stories high. They have stores on the bottom level and then like, you know, beauty salons and whatnot. And then some of them, I think, have apartments. And I think there's a hotel. And then there's office space that you can rent. The Democratic National Party has rented off like a whole part of a floor to orchestrate their presidential campaign of 1972. So... The burglars that are connected with Creep and the plumbers, and there's more to the story. They, they do this more than once, but I'm going to cut to the chase because we're limited on time. They break into the building, and they have a lookout person across the road watching for any police. So if the police show up, they get warning. Well, when there's a chance that something's going wrong, there aren't any police units readily available. What happens is the, the, the break-in people park in an underground parking garage, and then they wait for somebody to have a key to get into the door to get into the building, and they must slip in behind them. And one of these jokers has, like, duct tape, so he duct tapes the lock on the door so that it won't lock, then goes up with the burglars to the Democratic National Headquarters, and then they must need something back down in the car in the parking garage because it comes back down, goes out to the car. And when it gets back down, a security guard has come by, seen duct tape on the door, wonders what the heck's going on, takes the duct tape, duct tape off. The burglar goes out to his car, comes back in, and then duct tapes the door again. Then a few minutes later, the security guard comes by a second time, sees that the door has been duct taped a second time, realizes something's going on, calls the police. When the dispatcher sends a police unit, they're like having a flat fixed at a gas station or something like that, and they can't respond. But there's an undercover unit right around the corner that they're like narco drug busting cops with long hair and look like hippies driving an old jalopy. They say we can respond. And when they pull up, the lookout guy doesn't realize these are police. So when the police go up to like whatever floor it is, the seventh floor or something, you can watch, uh, what's that movie about Vietnam and everything with Tom Hanks? Uh, it's on that movie. Anyway, um, no, not Saving Private Ryan. Forrest Gump. It's on Forrest Gump. Anyway, when they break into the office, they're in five-piece suits with two-way radios, and when the police bust them, they're kind of surprised. These guys don't look like burglars at all. Well, they're like all in their 50s, wearing you know nice suits. I, th I think a couple of them have little 
miniature cameras. They're taking pictures of stuff. And they're arrested and taken down to headquarters. And there's another wrinkle in the story. They all have like brand new $100 bills that all of the serial numbers match up as if they were like one sheet from the Department of Treasury and specifically cut and handed to them, meaning these these $100 bills never even went to a bank. So, you know, you got to wonder, like, who's got access to this stuff? Not everybody just has sheets of $100 bills. The Washington Post sends a guy. There's two reporters, Woodward and Bernstein. I never can remember who's who, so I just call him Woodstein. But one of the guys goes down to the initial court hearing. He sits down, and there's a really nice dressed man in front of him with a briefcase. And the reporter figures out this guy's probably a lawyer. So he taps the guy on the shoulder. And when the guy turns around, he says, excuse me, are you the lawyer for the defendants? And this guy looks at him and says, I'm not here. So this lawyer turns around and says, I'm not here. And then turns back to the front. And then the reporter taps him on the shoulder again. And when he turns around, he says, you're not the lawyer for the defendants. And the lawyer says, I'm not here. Well, obviously I'm here, but I'm not here. So the reporter's like, something's going on. Then they march the five defendants out, and the judge tells all of them one by one, state your name and your occupation. And the first guy mumbles, and you can't hear him. And the judge tells him, repeat, you know, can you repeat that? He repeats his name. It's an Hispanic name, and he mentions that he's ex-CIA, which isn't an occupation. The second guy answers, and he mumbles as well, and the judge asks him to repeat himself. And he says, as an occupation, he's an anti-communist, which, again, isn't an occupation. Of these five guys, three of them are Hispanic, and they're Cuban. These five people are linked with the CIA. They're still upset about Kennedy pulling air support back in the early 60s for the Bay of Pigs invasion, where there was an attempt to overthrow Castro, and it failed. And these Cubans blame Kennedy and the Democrats, and they're willing to do almost anything to get Nixon reelected. Uh, one of these guys named McCord is also former CIA or still in the CIA. This whole story is really confusing because Nixon had the CIA spreading lies. And when the FBI was investigating it, the CIA was, quote unquote, helping the FBI. And all they were doing was purposely confusing the FBI so that they couldn't figure out what the real answers are. So the reporter's scratching his head and wondering just what in the heck is going on. Then he realizes these five guys have an attorney. It's not the guy in front of him for some reason. That guy's just there. And then he finds out none of these five used their phone call. So nobody made a phone call. And so how do they have an attorney? This makes no sense. Someone on the outside knew they were arrested and lined them up with an attorney without them ever making a phone call. So this is the beginning of the investigation. Uh, nobody really believes it's much of a story. Uh, immediately after these guys are arrested, there's a meeting in the White House. I believe the person's Howard Hunt, but I might be mistaken. He's part of this whole scandal also. And in the Oval, in the Oval Office, 
he tells Nixon, these guys are going to start talking. They want to be paid to keep quiet. They, they want hush money. And Nixon says, hush money, money, money. I can get money. Money's not a problem. Is a million dollars, a million dollars, is a million dollars a day not? Nixon is willing to pay a million dollars a day to keep these guys from talking. And he's going to be taking the money directly from his campaign funds, which is illegal. And then these reporters can't figure anything out. So Woodstein, the guy that went to the courthouse, calls a guy who goes down in history as Deep Throat. And Deep Throat had contacted the reporter back in the late 60s when a Southern governor was running for president, Governor Wallace, and somebody tries to assassinate him and he survives and nobody could solve that riddle. So Deep Throat secretly contacts the reporter and gives him inside information to help him solve that mystery. So now the reporter's contacting him and they set up this really crazy way to send messages with possibly newspaper classified ads and a flower pot on a balcony and weird meetings in underground garages where Deep Throat finally, after like two years or whatever, finally tells them, follow the money. Just follow the money. So they start unraveling the Watergate scandal by following the Nixon campaign money that's being laundered in Mexico, brought back through Miami, and then given to these five guys that are being paid hush money. At the same time, the U.S. Senate is investigating it, and they've been doing all kinds of interviews and all kinds of investigations, and they're not getting anywhere. And one day, it's like a afternoon, like 3, 3.30 in the afternoon, like on a Wednesday or Thursday, they've been asking people all kinds of questions. They got this panel set up where they bring one person in at a time, and they're not getting anywhere. And they get ready to bring in one more witness. And one of the senators leans and talks to the guy that's running the whole hearing. Can we just call it a day? I mean, I'm burnt out. We're not getting anywhere. Can we just quit for the day? And the guy running the hearing says, well, let's bring up one more guy. So they bring in one more guy and they're asking him a handful of questions. And he just keeps answering, I don't know. I don't know. And after a handful of questions, he leans forward. He goes, how would I know any of this stuff? I mean, I'm not even a main player. If you really have questions, why don't you ask Butterfield? And the senators say, what? He says, well, if you really want answers, ask Butterfield. And they say, who's Butterfield? And this guy sits back and says, you guys really don't understand what's going on, do you? And they're like, no, we're trying to. And he says, Butterfield, he's the White House electrician. Nixon's paranoid. And when the Pentagon Papers leaked, he had Butterfield wire every room in the White House, and any conversation that happens in the White House is recorded. All you have to do is ask Butterfield for the tapes, and every conversation is recorded. The story goes on and on and on. There's a 16-minute gap of probably the most important part that goes, quote-unquote, missing, which is the secretary almost certainly purposely erasing a juicy conversation Eventually, the tapes are given over. The story is broken by the Washington Post. The U.S. Senate's trying to figure things out. The FBI's trying to figure things out. The CIA's trying to cover things up. And Nixon decides, after sending two Republicans to ask senators, how many of you Republicans will vote me guilty if there's an impeachment trial? And Bob Dole from Kansas and Barry Goldwater from Arizona come back and tell Richard Nixon, it's unanimous. If you are impeached, every senator will vote guilty. 
and Nixon resigns, gets on the helicopter stairs, and waves peace. That's a wrap.